Good morning, class. Good to see you here on this holiday weekend. I was wondering how many would show. I appreciate you coming and being here. And I appreciate the opportunity to share the Word of God with you. Now, I just want to remind you that we're dealing with the subject of prayer and that we're trying to lay some foundation about what the Bible says about prayer by studying actual prayers that we find in the Scripture. Now, you'll recall, just by way of review, that we talked about the different types of prayer. Then we talked about the operational principles of prayer. And then uh, we began to talk about answers, how God answers. He may answer positively, but he may say no, just like he did to the Lord Jesus when he asked the cup to be removed. And God's answer, obviously, was no, so he, uh, because he was crucified. And then last week, we began to deal more with the prayers themselves. And the one we looked at last week was how to pray for missionaries. And I want to reemphasize that again this morning. Uh, we get e- emails, I do, Betty does, at our house. A lot of the missionaries send out prayer letters. They'll send them to the church. And then the people in the church will distribute, do however you do it with, your, with our church here. Uh, but Betty and I actually receive emails from missionaries. And so we are praying for them on a regular basis. Many of them will send us a new email each week. Sometimes they're on a monthly basis. So we're constantly having to review what's on the computer, print them out so that we'll have them in our, in our, uh, for our prayer time. This morning I want to deal with another how-to. And that's the how do we pray for our kids. Uh, I'm, Betty and I are getting ready to go to the 100th anniversary of the Corps of Cadets. I graduated from the Corps of Cadets in Richmond in 1958. And we're having the 100th anniversary. The Corps doesn't exist anymore. People lost interest in the military, especially high schoolers. But back in the day, it was a tremendous experience for us. And uh, we, we, uh, we recognized that, uh, that it was a, an important part of our life. It changed me, revolutionized my uh, view of myself. I gained a lot of self-assurance from it and that kind of thing. But the point is that we're going up for that, but we're going to stop off and see our great-granddaughter. 16 months, something like that, old, and I've only seen her once. So we're going to see her before we go on up to Richmond, Virginia for the reunion. And then we'll come back, stay a couple more days, try to get to know our great-granddaughter. But I'm praying for her now. As a matter of fact, I was praying for her before she was ever born. And uh, we pray for our sons. We pray for our daughter-in-laws. We pray for our kids, our grandkids, and great-grands. And I want to share, share with you this morning what the Bible has to say about that. Now, it's not going to be uh, a finished product by any stretch of the imagination because as you study the Scripture, you learn more and more things that you can put into your mental computer about how to pray about different uh, people and occasions. So that's what we're going to do today. And I want you to turn with me to First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 29, and I want us to look at verse 19 together. 
1 Chronicles 29:19. This is a part of a prayer that King David prays for his son Solomon who's taking over as king. Point. We're not praying here in this case with King David. We're not praying for a little infant or a toddler or a teenager. We're talking about a full-grown, mature man who's taking over as the leader. Point to be made is, child of God, we never finish praying for our kids. They're still our kids. And we have a responsibility to pray for them. Amen. Now look at the text. Want you to see what it says. Here's David praying for Solomon. And give to Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace or the temple for which I have made provision. Now, we're going to see, first of all, the perfect heart. We're going to talk about that. Then he's going to expand what he means by that perfect heart. And I hope today you'll take notes, you'll take down references, and then you can utilize those. Put these, this information along with your other prayer requests, and as you pray for your kids, here's your list. You got them down. Dr. Talley showed me where they are in the Scripture now let's utilize them. Please, child of God. That is, this is not about gaining information. This is all about appropriating that information in our life. Amen. Now let's have a word of prayer as we begin our time together today. Father, thank you so very much for your word. And thank you for your spirit who indwells us, guides us, brings things to our remembrance, teaches us. May he be our teacher today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's look at each part of this little prayer here. And notice, give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart. Now we've got to talk about that a little bit. What does it mean? And by doing an analysis of the text, the very first point we have is presenting a perfect heart to God. Have you prayed like that for your kids or your grandkids? That's the top item. Present a perfect heart to God. Now, what do we mean by that? Perfect. The Hebrew word for perfect here is a word that can be translated doing unto the full or the complete uh, heart in this case. Uh, have a full and complete heart as far as presenting it to God. Now, the, class, the question that automatically comes from that is, what do we mean by perfect heart? We have a definition, but what does it look like in shoe leather? How do we explain that perfect heart in everyday life or in our prayer life when we're praying for our family? Well, there are two items that I think you ought to have. One is the perfect heart involves a theocentric heart, a God-centered heart, a God-centered heart. You remember in Matthew 24, uh, uh, chapter 22, uh, the Lord Jesus is asked the question, what's the first and the great commandment? And he quotes, and here's your verse, 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, your Elohim, is one Yahweh, and you shall love Yahweh, your Elohim, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's a theocentric. That is a God-centered heart. And that's the way, as parents, we're to pray for our families. Now, I'm the patriarch in the Tally family now. And the problem that I see is, in my position, is that if I'm not careful, I slip away from what the Bible tells me I'm supposed to do. So I actually have, in my prayer time, I have a sheet of paper that lists all these different items from 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 19. The first one is a perfect heart, a theocentric heart. And your verse, remember, is Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Now, I said there were two things. One is a theocentric heart. Two is a sociocentric heart. That is, we have a heart that loves people. We love God, and we're to love people. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 22, after they'd asked him, what is the first and great commandment? He answered that, and then he said, and the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what he's doing is quoting Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, that we are to have a sociocentric heart, a heart that loves people. Now, I want you to turn with me to that passage because there is information there that I don't think we normally keep in mind. Leviticus chapter uh, 19, and I want us to look at verse 18. 19 and verse 18. Now, look what it says. 19, verse 18. Here's what Leviticus says in 1918. Thou shalt not avenge. You're not going to get people back. And uh, we're to pray that our grandkids, our kids, will have a perfect heart that includes loving your neighbor. Here's what it says. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear uh, a grudge against the children of thy people, but, and this is part Jesus quote, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. But then notice what he says, I'm God. And the whole point of that is we are not to do these prohibitions that are listed here because that's unloving. So we're to pray for our grandkids. They won't get into the pattern of the world of taking out vengeance, holding grudges, but loving people. Why? Because God told us to. Amen? Because God told us to. We want our grandkids to think that way. Now, I would amplify that just a little bit. Uh, When we say love your neighbor, that means love our enemies. That means love our family. That means love the people of our church. By the way, have you noticed sometimes the most difficult relationships are the ones we have with the people of God? Have you noticed that? Or is that just me? Sometimes as we get to know each other, we rub each other the wrong way, don't we? And it's a tendency not to act in loving ways. So the Lord tells us, do it. 
I'm God. Amen? Now, I, since you're in Leviticus, before we go back to Chronicles, I want you to go with me to uh, Exodus 20. And you'll remember that Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. Now, I want you to see something. Maybe you're aware of it. Uh, maybe you are not. Well, we recognize in a class this size, there are going to be people who have certain information but may not have others. So we want to cover as much as we possibly can. Notice what the text says. In Exodus 20, verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods. Number, uh, the second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. The third one, down in verse 7, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The fourth one, remember the Sabbath day. Now, class, look up here. Those first four commandments are all part of that theocentric heart. We're to love God. How? He tells us here how to do that in these four commands. See, Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. He was familiar with the scripture. Amen? And so he just points out, here's the great one takes in four of the commandments. Then in uh, verse 12 uh, through verse 17, you had the last six of the commandments. And what are they? Notice what it takes. Honor your father and thy mother. That's social, sociocentric. That's loving people around us. Amen? So when Jesus says there are two great commandments, and if you have a perfect heart, child of God, that's what they're, that's talking about. It's talking about our love for God and our love for people. And we need to not only teach our kids that we ought to, they ought to do that, we need to pray that God will work in their life. Amen. Now, there's a second one. Go back to Chronicles. First Chronicles, chapter 29, verse 19. We're talk about preserving the principles of God. Pray that they'll present a perfect heart to God, but also that they will be involved in the preservation of the principles of God. Notice what it says. Give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart. And then he begins to expand that concept with several other items. Notice what he says. To keep the commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes. Now, child of God, there's three different categories there. The commandments, we understand, the imperatives of Scripture. But there's also the testimonies. That's the moral principles that come out of the narratives of the Old Testament in particular. Every story that we have is that we call them Old Testament narratives because we don't want it to be a story that's fiction. So we have this particular way of saying it. And when pastor preaches, is, is preaching to us through Genesis, he doesn't tell us just what happened. He shows us the implications of it. You with me? That's the testimonies that come out of the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is where we are right now. And then uh, notice that when it says to keep the commandments, I want you to understand what that means. To keep doesn't mean to obey. That's the next principle. But this one, the word uh, keep, has to do with helping or protecting or hedging it in. Protect the principles 
of God's word. We're to pray for our kids that they will assume the responsibility of persevering in the principles themselves and then that they also will protect them and guard them. Amen? Somebody's got to do it. And when our, we pass off the baton to the next generation, they've got to do what we're doing today. Amen? Got to have a drink. Now, I want you to go with me back to Deuteronomy for a second. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We were just there when it talked about the perfect heart. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have there an a, uh, important concept. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And back to verse 4. You remember verse 4 that we were talking about? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Notice after, hear, O Israel, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and so on. Then in verse 6, these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart, in your heart. And then the text says, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto your kids. Now look up here. It is not only important for us to pray for our kids, we've got to be involved in a diligent effort of training our kids. Even as they grow up, my three boys are all, that are living are all in full-time ministry. One of the things we love to do is just sit around together and just talk Bible, talk theology. And a lot of times I can give them insight. Not because I'm smarter, I'm further down the road of hard knocks and experience. Amen? And so not only do we pray for them, we, we teach them diligently. Notice it expands it. Notice it. Teach them diligently unto your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you're just having a bull session sometimes maybe, or you're at the table and the supper's over and you have a little family time and you teach. When thou walkest in the way, when you're out in the fishing boat, wherever, or you're walking down to the store, and when you lie down and when you rise up, you're going to talk to them in the morning, talk to them in the evening. You're going to constantly, diligently be teaching them the Word of God. So we pray for them that they will learn, get it in their own life, then they'll be involved and keep in these principles, that is, to perpetuate them, preserve them. Amen? Now, I wanted to write down two more passages that will help. Because of time, I don't think I'm going to... Well, I'm going to turn to one of them. Jude 3. And the other one is Revelation 3. Jude 3 and then Revelation 8 and 9. In Revelation 8 and 9, one of the seven churches, uh, the text says that you kept... My word. That's not talking about obedience with that word in the New Testament in Revelation. It is Revelation 3. It's talking about guarding, protecting. Same as we have in First Chronicles 29, 19. Everybody with me? Now, go with me to Jude. Jude chapter, or Jude verse 3. It only has one chapter. Jude verse 3. 
right before Revelation. This is such an important verse. Now, we're praying for our kids. Why? That they will protect the word. They were incorporated in their life. And then that they will be the protectors as we move off the scene. They protect and perpetuate the word. Notice what it says, Jude verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that, purpose clause, or exhort you for what purpose? That you would earnestly contend for the faith once and for all delivered unto the saints. Now, what faith are we talking about we're to perpetuate and protect? We're talking about the faith that once and for all was given to us through the apostles that are recorded in this book. Amen? Nothing else. That's what we're going to pray that they will contend for and protect. Amen? Now, there's your second one. God give them a perfect heart. A theocentric heart, a sociocentric heart. But God helps them to get the principles, help me to teach the principles to them. And then, God, may they pick up the mantle and carry it and perpetuate and protect the Word of God against all the enemies around us. Now, there's the second one. Now, question Have you prayed that way for your kids? It wasn't until I discovered the passage and begin to analyze it and how it applies in my life, did I really know what are the important issues? Oh, I'm to pray for them. They'll make great, good grades in school, that they'll get ahead, and uh, they will be a good citizen and all that. But if we don't include the items here, we have missed, watch it, the priority prayer items for our family. Okay? Now, the third one, Chronicles. 29.19, give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep the commandments, the testimonies, the statutes. And then it says, and do them all. Here's the practice part. Lord, may they practice the word of God. May they, may they uh, actually put it into their own lives. Now, when we talk about the, the practicing of the principles, we're talking about doing that both in our living, child of God, and in our serving. Lord, I pray for John and David and Paul. Lord, that you will help them to appropriate the principles in their life. Now, they're all in ministry, but the point is sometimes... If we're not careful, we preachers can prepare the message and not necessarily realize it's for us sometimes, just as much as it is for everybody else. And I want to say to you that we need to be careful of that in our own life, but we need to be praying for it in relationship to our family as well. Now, with that in mind, I want to go to another passage of Scripture. I want you to go with me to Ezra chapter 7 in verse 10. Ezra chapter 7 in verse 10. Chapter 7, verse 10. 
Everybody there? Okay, here we go. Notice verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of God, to do it, and to teach to Israel uh, the statutes and judgment. Now, notice he mentions for prepare his heart. Then he expands on it. Notice what it says. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of God, to do it, and then to teach it to Israel. Point. Child of God, we are not simply to comprehend truth. Let me put it to you this way. This is what I used to tell my students all the time. Comprehension without application leads to being prideful. You know the facts, but you're not spiritual where you ought to be, so you get proud of the fact you know the facts. Amen? That happens. But the other side of the corn child of God is, the formula goes on. Comprehension with application makes one humble. Not prideful, but humble. Now, what are we talking about there? When I begin to understand what the Bible says, and I begin to seek to apply what it says in my life, I realize how sinful I really am, and it humbles us. Isn't that the truth? That's what we want. So when the Bible says knowledge puffs up, what's it talk about? Talking about not applying it in your life. You just become prideful. You don't become humble. And that's what we want to do with our kids. Now I want to take it a step further. That's Ezra chapter 7. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. I love Ezekiel, especially uh, the third chapter. And that's where I want you to go. Ezekiel chapter 3. Got it? Ezekiel 3, verse 10. Watch what it says. God is instructing the prophet, the night watchman. Here's what he says. Go, get thee to, the, to, to them of the captivity, unto the children of thy people. Speak to them and tell them, thus saith the Lord, whether they're going to listen or whether they don't. Do it anyway. Now, we understand that part. But if you go back to verse 10, Moreover he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in your own heart. Hear with your own ears. Then you go. In other words, the appropriation of truth. Every one of us, all of us who are teaching Sunday school, have a... a a, some kind of ministry within the church or in the community. We've got to appropriate in our own heart before we are qualified going out and telling anybody else. Amen? That's what we've got to pray for our kids. The third principle we find in First Chronicles 29 and uh, uh, verse 19 is the fact that we are to help them 
practice the principles in their own life. Then notice in verse 19 of 1 Chronicles, back to our text now. Look what it says. Lord, David says, give unto Solomon my son a perfect heart. Then expands. Keep thy commandments, testimonies, and statutes, and do them all, appropriation in their life. And then build the palace or the temple. Now let's talk about that just a minute. As we make an application of this in our own life, we need to realize that we're not going to go out and build a temple brick and mortar, all kinds of different materials. But that was the will of God for Solomon. He had two major tasks in the will of God. One, to be the king. And two, to build the temple. Remember, David, his dad, wanted to build the temple. But God told him, no, your son's going to do that. That's his ministry. That's his job in life. Uh, the Lord Jesus did the same thing. He says, if you're going to come unto me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, the ministry of the Lord Jesus was to come and to present the truth, but primarily he was coming to die. He went to the cross. That was his major ministry. And he's just using that to help us to understand we have a major ministry too. Our cross. Sometimes that means suffering. Other times it's just talking about what is it that he wants us to do in the will of God. Everybody with me? Now, child of God, that means that one of my responsibilities of, as the patriarch of the Tally family is to pray that they will discover the will of God for their life. I can't tell them what to do. I wanted to go to the mission field, and the Lord said no. Two of my boys went to the mission field for 11 years each. Now they're pastoring and teaching and, uh, and involved in a counseling ministry and so on. But I can't tell them what the will of God for there is. When I was at Southeastern, had a young man come to me one day, and he said, uh, Dr. Talley, what does the Lord want in my life? I said, I have no idea. I can pray for He got upset with me because I couldn't tell him what the will of God for him was. No, God has to reveal that to the individual. So we're going to pray. They're going to have a perfect heart. They're going to love God enough and love people enough. They're going to be willing to do whatever it is to build their temple, whatever that is. Does that make sense? Now, we talk about, then, the purpose of God. That's the fourth item in our prayer for our family. First, that they'll have a perfect heart. Two, they'll preserve and perpetuate uh, the truth of God's Word. Then they'll practice them. And then they'll pursue the will of God to do what it is God wants them to do. Now, let's talk about the will of God for a few minutes. I'm watching my time. I want to be careful. But, uh, child of God, the Bible, listen to me, this book 
is the will of God for us. Everything that's in here is the will of God. Now, I understand that, but I want to take it a step further and narrow what it means to know the will of God. Not only do we just follow this word just, we follow this word. But the text, this book, declares for us, and that's the word I want to use. There's two will of God's, the declared will of God and then the determined will of God. That's the terms I use. In other words, I go to the Bible and I find out what is the will of God. It's declared for me. But I also go to the word of God to discover what do I do to determine the particular will of God, the building of my temple in my life, my life purpose. Now, let me give you some examples. If we want to talk about the declared will beyond what we say the whole Bible, the whole Bible includes some declared will, actually uses it and says this is the will of God. Now, I want you to write them down. I want you to get the verse, and I want you to get the key word in the verse. The first one is John chapter 6 and verse 40. This is the will of God that you believe to believe God. Now, that's the will of God. The Bible says this is the will of God that you believe. A second one in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, This is the will of God. Give thanks. Sometimes we don't feel like being thankful. Sometimes we don't even see anything to be thankful for. But the Bible tells us we're to be thankful people. Now, I'm in stage four prostate cancer. And I want to tell you something. Not murmuring, not complaining. I'm just saying it's tough for man as a lot of days. But I'm still here. And I can still teach a Sunday school class, even though I'm sitting down at a table. Does that make sense? Give thanks. That's the will of God. Another one, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through verse 15. We're to submit to the authorities. In other words, go to speed limit. One for me is put on a seatbelt, whether you want to or not. My wife has to remind me quite often, honey, buckle up. Because I simply forget it. But in the early years, I just didn't like I'm telling me I'm supposed to do that. Submit to the authority. That's the will of God for you. Amen? That's what we want our kids to do. We want them to believe. We want them to give thanks. We want them to submit to authorities. Then in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19, it's the will of God for us to suffer. I just mentioned my cancer. But there's a lot of collateral junk that goes along with it. I've got a leg that doesn't want to work sometimes. When I get in and out of the car, it's a struggle sometimes. I push the seat all the way back just as far as I can. When I get into my truck, my beloved truck, you know what I have to do? I have to pick up my right leg by the pants leg 
and pull it up because I don't have enough strength to get it up. Am I complaining? No. I'm simply saying suffering is part of life, and that includes our physical life. It can also include our ministry life. Persecution, by the way, persecution is coming to America, folks. Now, we might not see it before the Lord takes us home, but you better pray for your kids, your grandkids, and your great-grands. Why? Because they're going to face it if the Lord doesn't come back. Now, that's what I call the declared will of God. But I want to also talk about the determined will of God. That is, the individual will. What is it that he wants you to do? Uh, when we join the church here, I asked Pastor, can I preach once in a while? And once in a while, he's let me preach. But... Uh, the last time we had this conversation, I mentioned it before, but my pastor got on me. And that's why I'm teaching Sunday school. Amen. That's what it's all about. Determining will of God. And uh, how do we determine that determined will of God? How do we get the guidance that we need? You can't turn to a verse that says, John Pally. I want you to teach Sunday school. There's nothing in there like that. But there are some passages that give us general direction and guidance. For example, write it down. Psalms 119, verse 15. Light unto my feet, immediate steps. A lamp unto my path, down the road. We get that through the word of God over a period of time. But then there's one more I want you to write down, and it's one you're familiar with. I know you are, but I want you to turn to it with me. That's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 6. Because I want you to see of what all is saying. We, we quote the verse, and we think we understand it simply because we understand the end of it. But we've got to understand the entire verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Got it? Now, here we are. How do I determine the will of God for my life? How do my kids do it? I'm to pray that they will discover the will of God. Pastor prayed and then got on me. But we understand the will of God. Amen? Now, how does it happen? When we look at Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, notice what he says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, I'd like for you to write a word down in the margin or in your notes, something that I think will be helpful to you. It's been helpful to me down through the years. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In other words, have absolute confidence in the Lord. Confidence. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Then secondly, notice what it says, lean not on your own understanding. You have confidence in the Lord, but total dependence on him. You may not understand it. You may not be able to explain it, but you're going to be dependent and do what he says. Confidence, take it a step further, appropriate that confidence, and be dependent on him. You with me? Then there's a third one. 
Lean not on your own understanding, verse 5. Then in verse 6, all, in all your ways, what? Acknowledge him. That means when you go to Publix to the grocery store or you go wherever you go, you're going to be obedient to the Lord. You're going to act like God wants you to act. You're going to be obedient to his word. I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge him when I'm out in the work area. Am that making sense? Confidence, dependence, obedience. There's your three words. Confidence, dependence, obedience. What's the end result? Guidance. What the text says. And he shall direct your paths. Now, child of God, let's look at that for a second. If that's true for me and you, then we need to pray that way for our families, for our kids, our grandkids, great-grands. What? That they will have absolute confidence, total dependence, absolute uh, obedience, so they can experience guidance. It's no lightning bolt, folks. It's when we walk with God, God helps us understand this is the path you're to walk in. This is your temple that you're going to build with your life. Amen? Now, there's one more. I've got a little bit of time. I want to say one more thing about a purpose. Write this little formula down. Activity, ministerial activity, leads to ability. And ability leads to ministry. Now, listen to what it's saying. Activity leads us to understand our ability. And our ability leads to the ministry God has for us. Now, look up here. That means, child of God, how do I determine the will of God, the determined will? I get involved at Glen Irish Church or whatever church you belong to out there in Radio Land, TV Land. You get involved in your church and you start getting to the point where you understand different kinds of ministries through experience. Then you will begin to realize God has given me the ability in this area, not this area. People will be saying to you, please, would you do this? You are really good at it. That's God talking to us. Amen? Now, take that little formula. Activity leads to ability. Ability leads to ministry. I've got a couple of minutes, and here we go. That's a process, child of God, that takes time. You just can't all of a sudden one day say, this is what God wants me to do. It's over a period of time as you look at the word and you practice obedience in the area of various ministries. Over a period of time, you discover where you fit. Now, that's where we've got to pray for our kids, our families, as parents. Amen? One of my sons was struggling he would call me almost on a weekly basis. 
and talk through issues. He was looking for some help from dad. That's what we want. We want them to have a heart that says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And talk to others to find out what it is. Then number, number five, the provisions of God. Notice the last part of verse uh, 29 in First uh, Chronicles. First Chronicles 29, and I want you to notice the very last thing that he says, and we'll be through. 29.19, give him a perfect heart so he keeps the commandments, testimonies, statutes, do them all, and to build your temple. Our temple is not building a house necessarily. It might be the will of God for some of us. But we're talking about what is the will of God, the individual determined will of God for you. It's a process. Then he says, for which I have made provision. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament narrative, David wanted to build the temple, and he started gathering all the materials and so on. And finally, God says, David, you're not going to do it. Solomon's going to do it. Then David realized, okay, I've gathered all these materials so that Solomon can do it. Application. We need to understand, child of God, that God has given us provisions for building whatever it is he wants us to do in our lives, his will. What has he given us? Well, one of the things he's given us is his word. One of the things he's given us is prayer. One of the things he's given us is the Holy Spirit. One of the things he's given to us is the gifts of the Spirit. And you begin to think about it and you realize all of these abilities. It's called God's grace. God's help when you need it. God gives you the ability to do whatever it is he wants you to do. Amen? That means, child of God, how are we going to pray for our kids, grands, and our great-grands? We're going to pray they have a perfect heart. They're going to perpetuate the truth. They're going to practice those principles. They're going to pursue the will of God for their life. And they're going to use the spiritual blessings and gifts that God has given to them. They're not going to do it in the flesh. They're going to do it in the spirit. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Minister to our hearts through it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.